How's it going, everybody? This is Chris, and welcome to X-Lapsed episode 18. So who's ready to uh, wrap up our DOX wave one number ones? Uh, I know I am. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Fallen Angels number one. Uh, you might call it Fallen Angels volume two number one, if you remember that uh, uh, really boring miniseries from the 80s. Uh, this had a uh, January 2020 cover date. story is called Bushido. Written by Brian Hill, with art by Simon Kudransky. Colors, Frank D'Armada. Letters, VCs, Joe Sabino. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X, Hickman. Edits, Robinson White, Sabolsky. $4.99 cover price, and it went on sale November 13th, 2019. You know, Fallen Angels was kind of the, uh, you know, the, huh? <laughs> you know, when I saw that uh, in, the sh- in the shop there, I... It just felt like a very weird choice for a uh, for a launch book for this line. I was expecting, I was pretty much expecting everything to be like a, I don't know, like a legacy X book sort of thing where maybe we'd get an X Factor, you know, or maybe we'd get a Generation X, or maybe we'd get a Wolverine solo. But Fallen Angels kind of just came out of nowhere, um, which both you know inspired a little bit of trepidation, but at the same time a little bit of excitement because. I mean, what in the world could they be doing with this book, right? So uh, let's find out. Let's uh, let's find out together here. We open, and we see a young girl on a train. And we get some sort of kind of confusing narrative captions about Quanan, which uh, caused me to assume that maybe this was a flashback to Quanan's childhood. It is not. Now, this young girl pops some sort of digital diode doohickey onto her dome, And we can also see that she has a butterfly either tattooed or adhered around the nape of her neck. The girl is suddenly overcome with strength. She's able to tear a stand rail in half. With it, she beats many of the other passengers, working her way toward the control room. Once there, she slams the conductor's head into the control panel. She grabs what I can assume is the emergency brake. I've never driven or operated a train before, but I'm guessing it was probably a brake. She says the word apoth. And then the whole thing gets derailed. Now, it's worth noting that her eyes started bleeding black after the doohickey was in place, and by the end of the scene, her eyes were fully just coal black and uh, still bleeding. Now, before we get into this, let's meet our cast. So we have Psylocke. So I guess um, in Excalibur, I question whether or not Quanon would be going by Psylocke, and it looks like she is. We've also got Magneto, Mr. Sinister, Cable, the young Cable, and X-23. Also, the other one, Captain Britain, Betsy Braddock, the former Psylocke. She's, uh, she'll show up for like a panel and a half, but we will get there. 
Now we're going to find out that this issue is chronologically last out of all the other, you know, Dawn of X number one. So we got Betsy already becoming Captain Britain. That's already happened. And, you know, from some of the contradictory Dawn of X reading order lists that I saw, um, like the first three or four issues of Excalibur were all clumped together. Like you should read it all at once and then go on to the next book. So her whole first adventure as Captain Britain uh, very likely already happened by the time this book hits, but uh, we're just reading them as they come out. Uh, from here, a dub a page spread of creds and then back to comics. We're on Krakoa and we see Psylocke, Quanon, meditating. She's being all tranquil and very, very purple. Uh, suddenly, her mind is, becomes preoccupied by a presence of darkness, warning of a tetragrammaton called Apoth. Now, she's told to stop Apoth, and she's reminded that Apoth has already taken something from her, and this is uh, more than enough to shock her out of her happy place. And next we see her, she's in the House of M, chatting up Magneto in an attempt to get permission to leave the island. You see, Krakoa has been on lockdown since... Charles Xavier's death at the end of X-Force number one. So, uh, A, way to go, X-Editors, actually putting a footnote in there referring to X-Force number one. Thumbs up to you. And second, I guess Charles is actually dead, at least for now. Uh, Now, I really wasn't expecting to find anything else out about the assassination or the assassination attempt until X-Force number two. Uh, I really... I love that there's a feeling of continuity between these books. I was afraid that these were all going to kind of go their own way with maybe just the main X-Men book is sort of a sort of a, like a meeting place for all the stories like where we touch on everything, but it looks like uh it looks like we are actually, you know, reading a family of books and that's uh I like that. I like that. So anyway, back to the story. Psylocke pleads her case until Magneto tells her officially that she can't leave. Though he suggests that Maybe if she goes over to talk to Mr. Sinister, he might be able to at least hear her out. Now, being kind of thick, she asked Magneto why he gave her a rule and then told her how to break it. And Magneto, I mean, you could you could almost see him, like, slump his shoulders inside. He's like, you know, you're not getting it. <laughs> but, like, and he all but, like, repeatedly winks at her to get her to understand. And she finally gets it. And she thanks him. And he tells her, don't thank me because I didn't do anything. And, uh... He goes on to say that sometimes, especially while he's in mourning, he might just forget on-the-record conversations he's had. And this reminds me a lot of, like, when you try to have, like, a a sort of sly conversation with someone and they just don't get it. Uh, It was pretty painful how Magneto had to basically spell it all out. Uh, Very well written, though. I I did enjoy reading it, but it was... You could feel Magneto's frustration. It's like... (sighs) Next stop, Bar Sinister. And here, Psylocke pleads her case to the Mister who is depicted as a little bit less fabulous here and more like the Sinister of old. Sinister hears her out and he confirms uh, that she's looking for him to break the laws of paradise. Like, he actually wants her to say it. Uh, You know, she's all, you break the laws of nature all the time, so what's a big deal? Sinister laughs and says there are no, you know, laws of nature. Uh, They talk about killing, and Sinister asks how she would have gone about killing Betsy Braddock for inhabiting her body for all those years. And she replies that she would do it the same way she'd kill anybody. Quickly. Sinister tries to keep the conversation going, but Psylocke just wants off the island. Finally, he relents and says she can go, but not alone. Psylocke assures him that nobody on Krakoa trusts her, so enlisting aid is going to be a kind of a difficult task. Sinister suggests she find other people who want to uh, destroy stuff. 
From here, we hop to flashback land. We're in Japan. And it looks like Quanan is probably maybe like a preteen at this point. She's still got kind of like little baby fat cheeks, you know. Uh, she's practicing her swordsmanship up on a cliff while a cloaked weirdo talks to her about being an ugly, useless caterpillar at present. But one day, she'll become a beautiful butterfly. We come back to now, and we're back on Krakoa at Carousel. Uh, now, this is just a area of the island where everyone's partying. There's a big bonfire, a bunch of mutants dancing. Off to the side, we see young Cable and X-23. Cable asks if Laura dances, to which they get into this weird flirtatious conversation. Here they decide, rather than dance, they ought to just fight. Laura quickly pins little Nate and pro- uh, proclaims herself the winner. They talk about how the island is making everyone feel too safe, which we've heard somewhere before. Uh, worth remembering, though, uh, this story actually happens after that Wetworks raid in X-Force Number 1, so you know safety might not be the overwhelming feeling in the air right now, right? I mean... They just had a bunch of themselves, you know, killed in cold blood on the beach, so I don't know. Psylocke approaches Nate and Laura and asks them to accompany her home. They ask why, and Psylocke points out that they're the only ones not dancing. Cable and X-23 think about it, and upon realizing that this Psylocke isn't safe, they decide to go and see what she's all about. Leaving the bonfire area, Psylocke passed by Captain Britain, Betsy, who asks if they might have a minute to talk. Psylocke tells her that that is not necessary and continues to walk on by. We go back to Quanan's place, and the trio have tea and begin to talk about why they've been asked here. Before getting too far, however, X-23 asks to speak with Psylocke alone. Once outside, she says, I don't care what it is, I'll go with you, but Cable needs to stay behind. She says that Nate needs and deserves Krakoa, while she... X-23 needs a life without being stuck in Logan's shadow. To which I say, yeah, good luck with that, my derivative friend. Uh, Maybe try not using claws and also maybe don't go by the name Wolverine sometimes. I don't know. Uh, From here, we jump all the way to Tokyo. Quinan and Laura have been given an audience with a black marketeer named Makoto. And she's got video footage of the train derailment from the opening few pages. She also states here that Apoth is nothing more than a rumor a boogeyman made up of body mods and digital narcotics that has been made up. Uh, Now, the digital doohickey the kid is in the beginning of war is something called Overclock. Now, Makoto says if there is an Apoth, and Apoth is responsible for Overclock, well then, Apoth is going to make millions upon millions of dollars. We watch the video, and upon seeing the kid's butterfly marking, Psylocke heads back into flashback land. Here, we see Quanan just after giving birth to a baby girl. Now, to teach her that love is weakness, her keepers take the child from her and tell her that they will mark her with a butterfly. Back in the present, Psylocke is, uh, well, she's going nuts. She's psychic-blading Makoto while X-23 holds off the goons with her claws. Uh, We finally are able to get some confirmation that there is an Apoth, though Makoto does not want to give any more information lest she be killed. Well, if you're Psylocke, that's not much of a problem, because uh, she can just yoink that info out of the head anyway with her, you know, with her blades. Laura wants to know what's going on, and so Psylocke touches her, and this somehow shares her thoughts. And now, X-23 knows everything that we do. You know, Quanon had a daughter, butterfly branding, yada, yada, yada. We get a couple of pages of info, uh, you know, of the info variety regarding Overclock. And uh, I tell you what, designer drugs are almost always a complete bore to me. 
I feel like every third X-Men story arc since the turn of the century has had something to do with a designer drug. Whether it makes you a mutant for a, uh, gives you mutant powers or takes powers away, it's always just... I don't know. It bores me. Um, I'm not looking forward to doing more of it here. Hopefully there's more to this than that. Uh, Psylocke and X-23 follow their lead, and they arrive at a barn somewhere outside of Tokyo. Psylocke warns that she doesn't want to leave anyone alive inside. Um, now, X-23 understands this. Inside, however, they don't find a path. Well, not exactly, anyway. Instead, they find a bunch of black-eyed children. Psylocke instructs X-23 not to hurt them. They, the children, suddenly start dropping to the ground, dead. One remains, however, and has a warning. Now, you see, Apoth is speaking through this last child, and he tells Psylocke to return to her island. He even suggests that with the mutants all in exile, the rest of the world might actually evolve. And then the kid dies. Another brief flashback shows Quanan slicing the wing off a butterfly, which I'm guessing is supposed to be poignant. We rejoin her back at Bar Sinister. She wants to put together a team to track down Apoth. Now, she makes a deal with Sinister. Remember, Sinister is on the Quiet Council, and if he can keep this quiet from the Council, she'll give him Apoth to study or dissect or whatever the hell Sinister might do with a body. He'll have free reign. And once he's done with, uh, with Apoth, Quanan will, you know, take care of it. Uh, we wrap up with the official drafting of X-23 and Cable into the ranks of our unnamed team. She asks them to find others they can trust, so it looks like we're going to wind up with more than just our uh, trio of outsiders here. And that is that. And that is also all six Wave 1 number ones from Dawn of X. So, talking time, talking time. I... Uh, when did Quanan come back? Uh, has she been like puttering around the X universe for a bit, or is she just a, like a resurrectee? Um, last I recall, though, it has been a while. She died of the legacy virus back in the long ago, and I tell you what, I remember being so confused during that story arc where she came back in Betsy's British body, uh, probably because whichever Cubert was drawing those issues made so little differentiation, but between the purple-haired women, you know, Quanan, Revanche, or whatever, uh, she just had poofier hair. I mean, one of them didn't look especially Asian, one of them didn't look especially un-Asian. Um, also, at the time, I knew nothing about Betsy ever being, you know, uh, a Brit to begin with. I knew she was related to Captain Britain, but I didn't know a whole heck of a lot about a body swap. So, I, uh, <laughs> that was very confusing, and it wasn't, uh, it was confusing and not interesting, which is, you know, the worst of both worlds there. I was previously tipped off that I'll need to check out like the the Wolverines weekly series, the post-Death of Wolverine thing, to get some more insight on Psylocke, the Betsy version. Which seems a rather daunting task, but I, I might keep my eyes peeled for that in the cheapo bins to see what I can find. Now, is this the first time we're learning that Quanan had a child? I think that's an interesting story beat. Um, I guess we might be able to assume then that the kid from the beginning was her daughter? Or are all these black-eyed children tagged with Nate Butterflies? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to assume, I think, that it was her daughter. So how about this issue? I will say it was far better than I expected it to be. It was also better than the, uh, the first series that was called Fallen Angels, but that's not exactly a high bar. Uh, just going by the cover, this was not a team I thought I'd have any interest in. Uh, then looking at the first few pages, I was almost positive this was going to be a slog. It wasn't, though. This was not a slog. It was a 
perhaps a little too satisfied with itself in places, but overall, I enjoyed it. Um, it was probably a little too edgy and precious in places. Uh, I could do without the constant butterfly mentions, but, I mean, what are you going to do, right? Uh, the art here, I gotta say, is very, very nice. I think Kudransky is a great fit for a story like this. Uh, I probably ought to, sh- ought to mention the coloring, which was some beautiful stuff as well. Um, yeah, this is, a. Uh, well, I mean, it's not... You know, Pepe Larez doing uh, House of X. It's it's still very very good stuff here. And Kudransky, I, I think he's he's great for this sort of a this sort of a story. The story, uh, while it was pretty dark and definitely felt like a, like an outsider among the rest of the Dawn of X books, it kind of felt like almost like a Vertigo light take on the X Men, or at least some of the X Men. Uh, the best parts of this were, again, the scenes of familiar characters interacting, uh, even if those characters aren't 100% completely familiar to me. I really enjoyed the scenes with Magneto and Sinister. I was a bit weirded out by the odd flirtation between X-23 and Cable, especially when we consider that X-23 was once in a relationship with young Cyclops and now young Cable. Yeah, it's just weird. Maybe she has a type. What can I, what can I say? Uh, now, I appreciated the revelations here as it pertained to the other Dawn of X books. You know, we... You know, Betsy's already Captain Britain. Professor X's death is... I don't want to say confirmed, <laughs> but for, you know, for all, all intents and purposes, he's dead right now. This actually gives us, or me, a feeling that we have some cohesion and things that happen actually matter. You know, just like last episode when the Marauder showed up on X-Force, uh, though, you know, nobody called bothered to call, you know, Kitty Kate or Kate Kitty or whatever. Um... I do think it's a bit odd how the death of Xavier is just kind of stated. And outside of Magneto being all solemn, nobody else seems to give a rat's ass. You know, nobody else is bothered about it. They're all dancing around a bonfire without a care in the world. Uh, You know, when their island was just raided by some Wildstorm rejects and the dude who can resurrect them just had his brains blown out? Seems a weird time to throw a party, but I guess uh, we all mourn in our own way. I guess it's breadcrumbs, right? Uh, we're getting the impression here that things are happening and things are being built upon, so... I'm very happy to see that because I was really kind of nervous when that that sort of storytelling would end full stop after Hoxbox, you know? I thought that we were just going to go six separate ways here and uh, just have a little bit of cohesion here. And, and this is a little bit of cohesion, but it's like... It's like the big stuff, you know? It's some big stuff being mentioned here. So I'm, I'm certainly happy to see that that continues here and that this is, you know, just one whole story that we're being told and we're, we're making our way through. Now, this series, Fallen Angels, only runs six issues, uh, unless it's just on, you know, quote-unquote, on hiatus or between seasons, or however they lampshade temporarily canceling a book nowadays without losing face. I think six issues of this might be a tough sell, though I'm, I'm hoping to be proven wrong. If this wasn't ongoing, which, I mean, the jury is still out, I, I think I, I would like this far less. Um, as a chapter one of six, it was pretty solid. Though, if I were ranking all the Dawn of X number ones, this one would definitely be slotted at the bottom. Speaking of which, how about we rate the number ones here? Um, now, this is just my ratings, you know, how I enjoyed them, how I received them. Uh, if you agree, disagree, let me know. I- I'd like to know how you guys rank these books, how you all uh, how you all received these, and which ones you liked the best, and maybe which ones you hated. Uh, the top of the list here, 
flip-flopped a few times. Um, sometimes when I put this list together, it was Marauders in the number one spot. Other times it was New Mutants on the number one spot. Um, I think if I, you know, gun to my head, I had to, uh, I had to pick. I think I'd put Marauders at number one, New Mutants at a very, very close number two. Uh, number three, X-Men. Number four, X-Force. Number five, Excalibur. And number six would be Fallen Angels. So that's my ratings for the Dawn of X number one. So, um, agree, disagree, let me know. Please, please, please. Now, speaking of letting me know, I got some feedback. Got a fair amount of feedback here today. I, I'm saving some for the next episode, but I, I do want to go through some of it here. First, our friend Damien writes in, and this is uh, regarding episode 13, X-Men number one. He says, yet another amazing episode. Your description of how the legacy numbering works makes me glad that I've walked away for many years. Maybe more a faked your death to avoid that legacy virus. Uh, it seems like a symptom of a broken system at Marvel that demands repeated number ones, even if there's nothing new. And yeah, 100% broken system. Um, law of diminishing returns, yes, totally. But at this point, I mean, how can we even get mad at Marvel for it? They're abusing it, yes, but... Uh, there's no denying that these number ones get a sales bump, so at the end of the day, it's our fault. <laughs> We're the ones coming in and and pumping up their sales and making it so number ones are like the only viable books in the books on the shelves. Um, it's kind of like uh, the old uh, you know dead cat bounce in the stock stock market. You know, you throw a dead cat across the street and it's moving, but it's still dead. I feel like that's what these number ones are. It's just the dead cat bounce of comics. Um, you know, it makes it look like things are moving in the sales, but it's it's not. Uh, nothing sustainable anyway. Uh, back to Damien's message. He says, you responded to the issue in a similar way to me. The soap opera stuff worked better than the superhero stuff. I'm never very interested in seeing fights among against armies of goons, but turning them into apes was definitely fun. The one thing you missed with the diagram of the Summers house is that Jean's room is in the is the middle one, and she has connecting doors to both Scott and Logan. They definitely want us to know that Jean is in relationships with both men. This is one of those niggles in my brain that implies Xavier is altering the resurrected. I feel like the established Jean and Scott would not enter into a three-way relationship, even if it was attractive to them. They're both very, very small-c conservative. And this is true. This is true. I didn't take a close enough look at the actual schematic. While Wolverine listed, you know, they listed the rooms, Wolverine does list between Scott and Jean. It's actually Jean's room with, as you mentioned, connecting doors that is in the middle of the schematic. I... I I was taking them in the order that they were listed. I didn't even bother to look at the actual schematic itself. And you're 100% right, my friend. Uh, Gene is in the middle, and they, there are doors to both fellows' rooms. So, yeah, definitely. Good eye, and, and thank you for uh, pointing that out to me. Uh, back to Damien. He says, as for the empty room, it's probably safe to having a couple of spares if Scott keeps inviting people to stay. But there was that sinister secret about more Summer's siblings. Maybe one of them will claim a room. I'm with you all the way about Lionel Yu. He's a great action-adventure artist, but can't really deliver the domestic stuff. Everyone's a bit stiff. I feel like Hickman is writing for a Paul Smith type, but he's been given a Jim Lee. Looking forward to Marauders, because I have a lot of love for that book. And yes, I, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on Marauders. That was, you know, as, as just mentioned, that was my top book of the month. So that was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for writing in. Thank you for the uh, the correction on the schematic. And I'm definitely looking forward to uh, to hearing what you, your thoughts on Marauders. Uh, so uh, thank you, thank you. Next, 
Al Sedano, Al Sedano of the Warlock and Thanos podcast. He says, hey, Chris, I enjoyed the first two episodes. So this is re- this is referring to episodes one and two. Uh, like you, my ex-origin goes back years, back to Uncanny X-Men number 227. I stuck around all three titles until the Mutant Genesis era, 1991, but left even before Lee and Liefeld. Though I stuck around with David and, Str- David and Strowman's X-Factor and Davis on Excalibur. I would pop in and out of the X-Verse ever since, sometimes for a few months, sometimes a few years. The last era I read was the Bendis run. I'm sorry. So at this point, I'm, pretty, I'm also pretty lost on what's been happening. But I'm trying to put that out of my head too much and treat it like I'm a new reader. So here's a few thoughts I have so far. Regarding House of X number one. Why does it look like Xavier is dancing in the beginning when the X-Men in question uh, are coming out of their pods? Is that a weird artistic choice? Is he that excited? Maybe he's just taking advantage of being able to walk, since who knows how soon they will take that away again. I didn't even realize that. I didn't even notice the uh, <laughs> the, flir- the flourish that Xavier was, uh, was showing here. Uh, it's like you can almost picture like a song from a Disney movie playing with him, you know, frolicking and, and holding his hands up and maybe like a uh, maybe like a bird landing on his finger or something there. Um, back to uh, back to Al's mail here. He says, Powers of X-1. I remember to take more notes on this one. I do like stories that take place far ago or far from now. I love the Legion. I guess that's why I enjoy stories like this. Regarding year 10, Marvel has pretty much said for a while that it's been 10 years since Fantastic Four number 1, and it always is. So I put that on Marvel more than Hickman. I think he's just taking advantage of that and using it since it works for his story. And that I didn't know. That I didn't know. I I always thought it was like one year for every three, or was it one year for every seven? I don't remember. So yeah, I guess one year for every seven would put us, would put us, you know, within 10 years. So, uh... Yeah, that's a th- thank you for pointing that out. I totally spaced it. I remember, I, I don't remember what the last thing I heard about the years was. I, it's been a long time since I put any stock into it or paid any attention to it. Um, how does Professor X get the thumb drive from Mystique? It just flies over to him. Did Magneto do it, or is, or he pressed on his helmet? Did it give him telekinesis? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that might just be uh Maybe Magneto nabbed it. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. I'm liking the info pages so far. Reminds me of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where we are occasionally given excerpts from that book. And uh, yes, I've, I've heard that a few times uh, so far, that uh, this is very reminiscent of Hitchhiker's Guide. I've, I've never read it myself, but uh, because it, you know, it doesn't, doesn't have pictures and, and word balloons in it. But I have heard that a few times uh, since we started this. Uh, regarding the year 100, he says, Thanks, I now have Asuka's voice in my head for Rasputin. And uh, Asuka from uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, I'm assuming, because I did make a few references to Evangelion through that, because, uh, well, let's face it, they put, an Ava, they put an Ava unit in year 100. That was an Ava unit, 100%. <laughs> so <laughs> it made me think of Evangelion. And then we had the... Uh, we had the LCL sort of thing with uh, Nimrod the Lesser there, where he was, you know... Basically boiling people down to their component parts and putting them in a in a thing all together, which is also very reminiscent of Evangelion. Uh, Nimrod, he seems creepier to me now with his kindness. That's true. It, it, giving him a personality was very, very cool. Very, very weird. Very, very creepy. 
Uh, regarding the 1,000 years, I thought the Skeets-like robot was Nimrod. I guess we'll see. And, and by now you know that that is Nimrod. I, we find out... Um, we find out pretty quick, because I know I put that correction in there pretty quick, because <laughs> I didn't even realize that it it's so obvious it's Nimrod, because it looks a lot like Nimrod's face, but uh, I, I guess I just really wanted to make the Skeets joke. <laughs> Damn it all, right? Okay, time to read House of X 3 and Powers of X 3. I'll talk to you later. So thank you so much, Al, for uh, following along, and I know I'm putting these episodes out a lot quicker. Then, uh, then, then I think anybody might be prepared for, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that toward the end. Um, yeah, I, uh, I intended to do this show maybe once a week, um, or maybe just a few times a month. But uh, when I made that deal with myself not to read ahead until I recorded my thoughts on the previous, the, the prior issue, I, you know, I got too excited. I wanted to get through the story. Um, I also really want to catch up to where we are now, or as close as possible, without, you know, totally rushing the experience. So, uh, thank you so much for your thoughts. I do look forward to hearing your, uh, you know, your your full thoughts on House of X, Powers of X, as you continue to work your way through it. Please definitely keep us in the loop here, and uh, and I will share your thoughts, and hopefully we'll have some good conversation. Uh, we have a message from Lamar. Uh, our friend here, he says, Okay, my honest Hox Pox review. It's good, but like you, I expect something bad to happen. Especially now going into Dawn of X. I've ordered the first three trades now. How about that? I do not trust Krakoa, Sinister, Apocalypse, or Xavier. He definitely feels creepy. Creepy like that what-if story ruins where he was the president. And I I, I don't have much what-if... Uh, what if uh, experience, but uh, that sounds like a, a very interesting story. Exodus returning is good. I liked him. Really could see this as a progression of the whole X-Corp idea from the early 2000s, and the past 20 years of stories were ignored. Now, X-Corp, that was, that was the Xavier group, right? The Because uh, I know, boy, Joe Casey did something that I think was called... I, I, it was called like X Core, uh, X Corps, where it was like Banshee and like the original designs had them wearing like SS outfits, SS uniforms. So I, I remember there was an X Corp and then an X Corps, and Corp, of course, for corporation. But uh, yeah, I think this was the Xavier thing where he had, he just had different like mutants working for him around the globe. I don't think they did enough with that, but they did mention it from time to time, and it also facilitated guest appearances and uh, getting information in very convenient ways from time to time. Uh, Back to Lamar. He says, The art was good. I enjoyed the info pages better since this was a trade. A single issue would have perturbed me a bit. Hasbro needs to make some of these Marvel, Marvel Legends from the variant covers, especially Maggot and Chamber. In the end, I did enjoy it. Oh, the whole resurrection thing the X-Men have now. Did Proteus warp Wolvie's egg to have an adamantium bones and claws? That wasn't found in nature property of his. I'm still iffy on it. Something nasty is going to happen because of it. I didn't even think of that. I didn't even think of that because, I mean, yeah, Wolverine had the uh, the adamantium put on not from birth. You know, that was that was during the whole Weapon X thing. So that is a very interesting point and not something I ever thought of. So... I do wonder if something's going to happen because of that. And uh, and I, I've been saying a few times here, I, I wonder how many times they've they've killed and brought Wolverine back that we haven't seen. It just seems like, uh, 
I don't know. It's, it, it feels like Xavier is doing something. Um, though he's quote-unquote dead now, so who knows. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lamar. Next uh, bit of feedback here. And we only got three to go. This is from Jeremiah, uh, who, uh, who was my Hoxpox tour guide back in episode five. He says, I finished episode nine today discussing House of X number five. That's the big issue, of course. The issue with the resurre- resurrection reveal, uh, the church service, and the bad guys get to go, and get to, go to Krakoa. It was a great episode. I loved the scene where the bad guys show up and Apocalypse is last. It was so well done. The build-up, the art, and the dialogue. You could feel the tension. It was one of my very favorite parts of the whole series. And I totally agree. Issue 9, I think, is a very powerful issue where... I feel like what we learned and what we experienced in that issue was so risky that it could have been a make or break for, I mean, you could have bought every issue up to that point and saw that reveal of the resurrections and bringing the bad guys on on board. And you could have just thrown your whole, your whole stack in the fire at that point. You know, you could have had that reaction or you could have maybe been eh, through the story and then you see that and you're just all in. I think that was just a, a masterstroke, right? It was just so well done. Uh, the dialogue was wonderful. It was tense. It was nerve-wracking. It was. It felt dangerous. Just real good, real good. You know, five stars all the way through for that one. Uh, thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts, Jeremiah. I do look forward to hearing more from you. Uh, Andrew, our pal Andrew, at Mighty Evil Doom on Twitter, he says, I don't like the premise or the new status quo, but I haven't read X-Men in nearly 20 years, so it's just an interesting curiosity to me. I still enjoy hearing your take on the book. And uh, this is interesting because I, I haven't heard a whole lot negative, but I can totally see why, just as I mentioned before. Uh, you know, this big reveal and the status quo shift, that's not for everybody. You know, um, but I definitely love to hear uh, some thoughts, uh, some you know, some uh, I don't want to say contrarian thoughts, but I want to hear some uh, some thoughts that just aren't completely on board with this. So, Andrew, I, I would definitely love to hear some of your uh, specifics here uh, from what you've heard and uh, and just uh, just if you could expound on it a little bit because I, I'm I'm very very curious because. I can totally see why this is this might be a tough sell, and I can totally see why some people love it. Um, I am being cautiously optimistic. Uh, there were some scenes in Hoxpox that I absolutely adored, and there were some scenes that I don't ever need to see again. So I, I think I fall somewhere in the middle, but more on the positive side than the negative. So... If you guy, if anybody out there falls more on the negative side, or or falls anywhere actually, but I, I definitely want to hear some people who uh, didn't receive this, uh, like a lot of the other folks did. Just uh, I do want to hear some some differing opinions for sure. And thank you so much for sharing, Andrew. And we will wrap up with uh, Jason. Now he writes in. This is regarding the episode where we discussed Excalibur number one. I think that was episode fifteen, maybe. He says, this is the Dawn of X books, Dawn of X book I noped out on most expeditiously. It assumed I had a bunch of knowledge about a bunch of characters and crazy backstory, and I just didn't. Now that the Swords, Sword of X thing is happening, maybe I'll dig into Marvel Unlimited and get caught up. 
And uh, regarding the crazy backstories, he's, he continues and says, I got about three levels deep into a wiki hole on Betsy Braddock, Psylocke, Quanon, before I just gave up and fixed myself a restorative cocktail. <laughs> and yes, that is a many splendid story, isn't it? Uh, the Betsy, Psylocke, Quanon, Revanche, that, that is a... That's a disaster of a story. There is so much going on there. And at the same time, nothing really going on. Um, I could totally see getting getting burnt out, even just looking at the wiki on that. Uh, and and as, uh, you know, as I ranked them here, Excalibur did fall toward the bottom. Um, I, you know, I, there, and there were parts of it that I loved. I loved seeing Rogue and Gambit. Um, I loved pretending I was Nick from Family Ties. And and Jason did point out the art of being Nick, which was uh, Nick's spinoff from Family Ties, which I, I assumed I dreamt. You know, I, I thought I dreamt that and Joni Loves Chachi. I, I guess I only really dreamt Joni Loves Chachi. Um, but I, I, I there were things in the book I really enjoyed. But it's weird. I mean, the two books at the bottom of my list for The Dawn of X number ones, they both star Psylocke. <laughs> Maybe I just don't like that character as much as I thought. But uh, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing, Jason. And uh, I think that's where I'll let you guys go today. If uh, you'd like to get a hold of me, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find the blog at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com and also the dedicated xlapsed page at xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. Got a Facebook group for uh, other X projects I'm working on, uh, from Claremont to Claremont. Uh, you could find that on Facebook if you want to jump in on the conversation about, well, anything X-Men related. Or, heck, the weather in your neighborhood. I don't care. Uh, that's uh, a Facebook group. Just uh, search for 90s X-Men, 90s X-Men, and you should find us. Definitely, uh, if you're interested in chatting us up, just uh, you know, find us. It's not hard to do. And now that we're wrapped up with all the number ones, I'm not sure if I'll take a few days off um, before hopping into the number twos. I, I know it's overwhelming to drop you know, an episode nearly every single day. Uh, not only for me doing it, but for folks who are you know, trying to listen to this and trying to listen to their other shows and uh, you know, just trying to have a life that doesn't revolve around having my voice in their head. So <laughs> I might take a couple days off to let people catch up. I am doing these a few days ahead, so... By the time you're listening to this, there's either a few episodes in the hopper waiting to be published, or there aren't. <laughs> I already know. Um, or I will already know when we get there. But uh, So if this episode hits and there's not an episode for a couple of days, don't don't worry that it's gone. It's just uh, might just be giving, a, giving folks time to catch up. But uh, we'll know better as we get there. I might just power through. Anyway, that's where I'll leave it. <laughs> One last time, thanks everybody for... Hanging out, listening, reaching out means a whole lot to me. Uh, really, it'd be a whole lot harder to keep up the, uh, you know, the the pace and the enthusiasm if uh, if there weren't folks that I knew were listening and, and having a good time with this uh, content. So thank you so so much. Until next time, uh, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. <laughs>